Welcome to another Directions Mag podcast, co-hosted with our friends at Eurissa. So my name is Tori Elmore. I'm a freelance GIS analyst currently doing work with Audubon, Alaska. And I'm also working towards a master's degree in GIS development at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And um, I'm here today with Asa Strong. So Asa, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, hey, um, thanks for having me. I'm Asa, I'm a product manager at Planet. Um, Planet's a a satellite company um, and I work on building uh, integrations into different GIS software systems and other geospatial engines. Excited to be here. Because I know you have a lot of experience working with Planet, and then you know, going back to some of the other positions that you've held in this space of sort of um, like environmental protection. In that, you know, you've done some of this monitoring work around how we use satellite imagery and GIS to sort of um, prevent prevent environmental harm. So whether that's you know related to deforestation or related to mining or oil extraction. Um, we're really interested in, in hearing about, you know, some of the ways that, that people either at Planet or, or, you know, folks at other organizations as well are sort of implementing GIS and, um, satellite imagery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, as you know, you know, I've, um, like been, you know, interested in, in GIS software for, for quite a while, you know, almost since, um, middle of college and, uh, what really got me interested in the satellite space uh, specifically was um, starting work at uh, an organization, the World Resources Institute in D.C. Um, they have a project there called Global Forest Watch. I was um, around in 2014 um, when the site first launched. And it was kind of this like first attempt to try to monitor deforestation at a globally consistent in a globally consistent way using um, global satellite imagery data sets like Landsat. Um, that's from the USGS, uh, and then using kind of like this new fusion of, um, you know, remote sensing that's always been around, but what kind of made it different was that we finally had like the, the cloud compute scale to, to analyze something as big as Landsat Archive. Um, you know, I don't think anything could ever actually been done at that scale until, um, something like Google Earth Engine came around that allowed, uh, the scientists that we partnered with to, to actually, uh, analyze deforestation. Um, at first on an annual basis, um, and then actually scaled it up to um, even more frequently. Um, but that was just kind of like a wake up call for myself. I'm like, wow, we can really like monitor so many interesting um, things uh, on the world, you know, that's dynamic and changing all the time. Um, it got me, you know, curious and interested in like, what are the other use cases, which I think, you know, kind of inevitably led me to, um, to planet actually able to image the entire earth every single day at a higher resolution than lands so that's at like three to five meters yeah still uh very focused on like how do we how do we detect changes you know for environmental purposes we still do a lot of work with deforestation actually you know directly supporting things like global forest watch um through uh, a, a big grant that we just signed with the norwegian government to make um forest related imagery available uh for the tropics um, so still, still working on, you know, how do we, how do we do this monitoring? But I do think the fusion into GIS software is really important. And that's like where I kind of focus on as a product manager. 
because it's, I think it's still very difficult to to use imagery inside of JS software, and I think um, uh, there are ways to make that experience better and to actually um, help you know GIS analysts and, and cartographers leverage um, satellite imagery to uh, to better monitor the areas that they care about. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that as someone who has um, worked with a fair amount of imagery and just trying to incorporate imagery into like cartographic designs can definitely be challenging. Um, and, you know, even just like working with, with data sets like that in, you know, whether it's in an ArcMap environment or in an open source environment, um, I, I could definitely see the challenges related to that. Um, but you mentioned, you know, I know you mentioned deforestation and you mentioned, you know, a couple other like use cases that, that you've had experience with. So could you tell us about that? You know, what are some of the other use cases that that are currently, you know, using satellite imagery to, to track these kinds of activities? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll list off, you know, a couple use cases. Um, and, and so one is, you know, one of my favorite organizations to work with in the past year has been the United Nations um, Food and Agriculture Organization. Um, they've been using Planet for, for a while, um, and they've been trying to use our imagery inside of um, a tool called Google Earth Engine. Um, and they essentially what they do is they work very specifically with tropical forest uh, forested countries um but the way that they work you know I, I think it's important especially when working you know in, in um, some developing countries is to like give those governmental agencies the the agency um to actually like run these geospatial analyses themselves um so UNFAO really focuses on capacity building um and they do it by building basically like an analytical hub that like has a bunch of tools and functions um, that these countries can tap into um, to do things like land cover classification, um, right? And then like uh, if you create two different land cover classifications from two different dates, you could do some you know interesting analysis of basically what changed into what, right? Which is important for monitoring um, deforestation at a large scale, so you can start to understand you know we lost not just like we lost X amount of forest, but we lost X amount of forest to smallholder agriculture. We lost X amount of forest to to industrial agriculture, we lost X amount of forest to mining. Um, so that's like that's a huge thing in the forestry community. Is just like how do we do land cover change maps? Um, and so we were working with them, and I think you know it was going well. But I think what's really um, bolstered that uh, that work is um, we now have these um, what we call tropical base maps, which are you know an interesting. Um, imagery source uh, where essentially, you know, planet images the entire world every day, but it comes in these like scenes um, that there could be thousands, you know, for, for, you know, a regional area or a province. Um, and what a base map does basically for your time of interest in an area of interest. So in this case, the entire tropics, um, we can actually choose the best looking images um, for users using some machine learning. Um, and basically select the best available pixels uh, for that time of interest. So for for this particular use case and the to support deforestation work, we wanted to use uh, monthly base maps. So we actually pull out the best um, looking images uh, for those months that cover the entire tropics, 
which is really helpful, especially in areas like um, the Amazon and, and Congo, because it's so cloudy there, right? So you could imagine that you can get like, in some places in Congo, you can get 30 days of images and like only like two of them are clear. Um, so these tropical base maps help create like an almost cloud-free look at the tropics. Um, and then we can actually go a step further and process them so that they're actually surface reflectance corrected, um, which essentially means we're like doing the atmospheric correction for our users. Um, so that the uh, pixel values better represent biophysical qualities, um, which is important for doing analysis on vegetation and forest. Um, so those are now in the hands of FAO, and they are um, there. We're working with them uh, today on, on basically getting it into the applications that they use, so that they can um, do you know near tropical um, analysis and support these countries a little bit better. Um, so that's that's a great deforestation use case. Um, you know, I, th I think um, the prompt that you were asking for is, you know, identifying change in, in monitoring use cases. And another, you know, examples we do work with some um, civil society, you know, civil civil sorry civil government um, organizations, so um, counties, um, state state land offices. So you know, a couple um, that come to mind are like Humboldt County has been using our imagery to basically image their entire county in high resolution every six weeks and then they actually use that high resolution imagery um, to pinpoint um, illegal marijuana um, grow operations uh, and so in California uh, marijuana is actually legal in the state so up in Humboldt County is actually like a place of a lot of illicit um, grow operations that can lead to you know crime and, and the counties aren't actually able to like recoup their revenue they could otherwise make through legally taxed uh, agriculture. And then New Mexico State Lands Office uses kind of like a really similar approach, but to monitor for like mining, uh, illegal mining extraction. So there's a there's so much opportunity for mining out there uh, that these companies for a long time have just been like mining and, and hoping that you know that the revenue that they'll extract through illegally mining in areas that they're not allowed to um, will make up for any fine that they get from the government. So they'll actually just go out and and start mining um, and then they think the government will be so slow to respond that by the time that they do the fine is going to be less than the actual money they'll make so kind of encourages like a <laughs> not a good land use practice um, and so uh, New Mexico State Lands now uses that satellite imagery to, to more quickly um, respond to those infractions. Yeah that that makes a lot of sense um, you know working in sort of the public land space I know the way we used to kind of discover illegal marijuana grows out, you know, often in the middle of public lands or in wilderness areas was, you know, often stumbling upon them or, you know, like irrigation lines. And so I think it kind of, it kind of also provides a, a safer approach to that, that you're not, you know, as a, as a, the people who are working on our public lands, our rangers, et cetera, are not necessarily just going to walk into the middle of a marijuana grow, but that they have this sort of um, safer and and lab based way to to approach things like that. So that's really Absolutely. interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a part uh, of it. You know, talking to officers up there in Humboldt, it, things can get a little bit dicey um, when you're just kind of wandering around. There's there's no service in parts of the you know Humboldt um, County area, you know, up up near Lost Coast and stuff. So um, having some direction when you're out there is important. Yeah, I was really, you know, I was really interested in seeing imagery that um, 
that planet had had released after a an oil spill in like um, northern Russia, and how you know you could see the oil on the ground, you know. So I I, I imagine that there's there are implications for for sort of um, human caused disasters as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, one example that happened recently was the explosion in Beirut. Um, we actually had an image, you know, available from one of our satellites, you know, minutes after um, the explosion, uh, and the government in Beirut used it to identify the buildings that were actually uh, destroyed. Um, and we got, you know, it, it's one of those things that make, makes you happy, you know, where you work, and like we got to notes back from the government that they, you know, really felt like they saved, um, you know, hundreds of lives by basically knowing like where the damage was by being able to get that kind of um, really quick image uh, to do a rapid response. I know, I think you and I can kind of came across one of the limitations of satellite data when we were talking about um, imaging, you know, high latitude areas like, um, you know, Northern Alaska or, um, you know, the South Pole area kind of comes to mind. I'm not sure really what illegal activities may be going on down there. Um, so could you talk about that and maybe any other limitations that come to mind in terms of the satellite data? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Alaska, I feel like is a great example um, just because it's so large, right? And it's hard, like you don't have as many people on the grounds, like in a density type of way to actually like respond to different you know activities that are going on whether it be illegal trailing or or other um uh, environmental destruction that might you might want to discourage um so i think you know imagery can play a good role in in that as well as understanding maybe like habitat change over time um but i think you know that i mean there are definitely always strong limitations with using satellite imagery i mean one is that it's never um it's never a substitute for having, you know, strong action networks, you know, on the ground, whether those be, you know, civil society um, and how they're able to, like, respond to different disasters or different um, environmental destruction, um, or just, like, having a government that's willing to, you know, stand up and, and respond um, in a timely way. Um, so, I mean, I, imagery can only get you so far. Um, but I do think it's it's important because it allows you to you know, I think I think one of the um, the issues that we'd run into sometimes, you know, organizations like Global Forest Watch was we were working with deforestation alerts, and it's just like a, a pink pixel, you know, on a map. Um, and it it just tells you so much. It, it can tell you that there's something going on here, which is great, and it kind of draws your eye. But you know, what imagery really does is it, it helps set that context, so you can pretty quickly, with the resolution of most planet imagery, pick out, you know, is this change occurring because of you know, in the context of deforestation, in the you know, is it occurring because of smallholder agriculture, which warrants you know a totally different response, and like something like an industrial plantation being developed. Um, I, I think you know probably similar things that are going on with like oil drilling and in, in potentially non-sanctioned areas in Alaska. Um, you can you know you can use um, we, we have this pattern that we call um, tip and cue, which is essentially you can use our daily revisit imagery, which is a little bit coarser, you know, it's three to five meters to basically identify change. And so you might identify like, hey, there's like a new well pad here that's interesting. And this, you know, isn't a place where a well pad should be. Um, and then you can cue something like our high resolution satellites to actually task that area of interest. So you can say, 
um, get a more detailed image and that might even be able to tell you like, is there equipment on the well pad? You know, have they actually started drilling? Is it active? Um, or is this just a well pad that, you know, had a bunch of dust on it and it's been uncovered? Um, so I think there are ways to kind of um, combine those to get a little bit more detail. Um, but I, I think the other limitation just kind of comes to, you know, so so one, you should have strong, strong action networks that can actually do something with the imagery. Um, and two, I think, you know, um, what I work a, a lot on is just like imagery is still hard to access and use and analyze. Um, and so, you know, I, I've been using this example of um, deforestation alerts, but I think that's like, I, I use it because it, it's one of those rare exceptions where we have a really good data set that shows us when forests are lost. Um, and I think we need that for a lot of other things to like be able to um, more easily move our eyes to locations of change. Um, and I think, you know, Planet is trying to do that a bit with being able to, for example, detect roads um, as they're being built or buildings as they're being built, um, which could be important for things like, you know, roads are usually an early indicator of development in areas, um, which could be a risk for deforestation, depending on where you are, or risk for, um, for, for mining and other extractive industries. Um, so I, I think we need a little bit more indicators that way. Um, that's one way to make satellite imagery a little bit more understandable and easy to work with. Um, but then also just, you know, easier ways to access the imagery in like cloud optimized ways. Like, and I think the paradigm of downloading geotiffs and opening it into ArcGIS and opening it into QGIS is, um, it can only get you so far. And so I think, um, providers like Planet and other companies are looking into, how do we serve images in a way that like users can um, play around with the analytical qualities of the data without actually having to download it um, more through like streaming capabilities. Um, so just trying to make like the experience a little bit easier for, you know, GIS analysts who are equipped to like understand what images are, but like don't necessarily have, you know, the, the API savvy and the, and the cloud um, savviness to, to work with petabytes of imagery. Um, in order to support their their workflows. So you mentioned sort of some other companies, and I just, you know, just to do sort of my due diligence here, you know, we've talked a lot about Planet, and I'm just wondering if there are other companies that are, are sort of in this same, like a same or, or similar space. You know, obviously I think of Google Maps, but um, I'm actually not really familiar with how often that imagery is updated. So um, could you speak to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Google is interesting because so Planet actually acquired um, a satellite constellation from Google called Skybox. It's now, now called SkySat. Um, Google definitely plays like a really good role in a couple of ways. I think, you know, Google Maps is updated at a commercial imagery level, and that commercial imagery is usually um, uh, less frequent because we've gotten used to really high resolution data. And so Planet doesn't, um, you know, Planet's resolution, the maximum, you know, or most high resolution is about 50 centimeters, which is like the one on the more coarse level of what you'll see in a, um, a consumer facing mapping application like Google Maps. Um, so they typically will acquire imagery from places like Digital Globe, um, Airbus, um, other uh, satellites that are able to actually get very um, high resolution pictures, but um, at, at less frequency. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I, I like um, working with the Google team. I work with them mostly on their Earth Engine application, which is um, a really powerful um, geo engine that essentially has a number of open data sets sitting on top of Google servers that are basically ready to be tapped into analytically. Um, so, uh, you know, they have the entire Landsat archive on there, they have Sentinel, um, and we are building, you know, integration to, to make it easier to, to port planet imagery into the Earth engine space. Um, so I do think they provide really good software for understanding satellite images. Um, you know, Esri is, is another organization that provides really good mapping software. Um, and I think they're working more on how does imagery become a complement um, to mapping capabilities. Um, so we work with, with their team on building easier ways to access imagery within, within ArcGIS. Um, and then, yeah, there are definitely other satellite um, companies. Um, I'm, you know, um, a little bit less familiar with like the tools that they built as much as I am with their imagery, but there's, you know, Airbus and, and Digital Globe. Uh, there's a couple of others that I think are coming into the space, like Black Sky. So you kind of just reminded me of, of something something else. I know you're talking about, um, you've talked about Google Earth Engine a lot. Um, you haven't really mentioned at all any of the like programs that I sort of associate with my like remote sensing courses in, in college, like um, ERDAS or um, you know, any any of those sort of traditional remote sensing programs. So I'm just wondering, like, what is the role that they play, if any? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good point. You know, I think um, a lot of my work in the past year is focused on QGS, RGS, and Earth Engine, so it's top of mind. I, I've been talking a little bit more with the NV teams and the ERDAS teams on, you know, how do we build better integrations into their software. NV uh, was the first um, remote sensing program I ever used. It's very good as well. Um, it's very scientific. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit more um, legacy in terms of it being like a standard desktop application that runs on images that are on your desktop as well. Um, but I know that team is building more into open standards um, that come with cloud technologies. So I know that they're looking at um, things like OGC standards um, and and looking at specs like um, COGS, which are cloud optimized geotiffs. Um, and so I, I think, you know, where we're interested in working specifically with them is, is around, like, how do we um, make it easier for users to access imagery in a way that they can kind of scale their analyses a little bit more. Um, but I still think those systems are great and they have, like, um, a ton of different scientific tooling. And so I think, um, yeah, um, I, I haven't, haven't played around with them as much recently, but I still think that they're um, a good way to understand, like, the basics of, of remote sensing. Um, understand like what does it mean when you run in DVI? Like what is that actually doing um, on an image? And I think those tools are um, always going to be effective for that. Let's say I'm, you know, I'm either a college student or maybe I'm a graduate student, or even I'm someone working in in geospatial technology, and you know, this is a space I I want to get into. What are what are kind of the prerequisite skills, or what should I be doing now, um, or you know, what should people be doing now if they're interested in in working in a similar space, like working in a position like the one you're in? Yeah, um, I, I mean, first, I think I think it's a great um, time to get into the industry. I think 
Um, it's never been a cooler time to be a geographer. Uh, we have just like really awesome um, data sets and, and really awesome technology at our fingertips. And I think it's still coming to fruition. So it's an exciting time. Like I think um, the geo industry has lagged behind some of the other um, tools that we've seen be revolutionized by the internet. And so I think, um, I think we're making it easier every day. And I think it's fun to be a part of that transition. And so I think it, it depends on what you want to do. I mean, I, I think we need people from all sorts of backgrounds to help us make that transition easier. Um, you know, I, I'm a product manager. There are product managers who have lots of geo experience. There are product managers who don't. Um, I think, you know, being a good product manager means that you know how to listen to your users, um, understand what their needs are, and kind of reconcile that with the business objectives while also, you know, having some technical savvy to work with your engineering team. But, you know, I think if you're more interested in, in the analysis engineering space, you know, I, I definitely, I uh, think the Python community is really great for GL. Um, there's lots of, you know, open tools out there and then the stack flow messages are very, very busy with the community support on, on learning Python for geospatial. There's lots of open source tools. We're lucky enough to have, you know, some of some some famous Python gurus like uh, Frank who, who mentioned GDAL working at um, Planet and, and Tim Schwab who, who worked on the GeoJSON spec. So I, I, I think programming, if, if you're, you know, interested in becoming more of an analyst is will help you with just like your, your prospects instead of getting locked into a single tool or system. Um, I think you'll always have a little bit more options if you um, jump into more of like the actual underlying technology. I still think, you know, having some familiarity with Esri, uh, you know, any kind of pound gorilla in the geospace is is important. I'd also say Earth Engine is just like a really fun platform to, to play around with if you are trying to understand imagery science a little bit more. It's so easy to prototype. It's free um, for now. And it's just like a great way to to try to try to do something really cool with an image um, in, in a cloud optimized way. So yeah, I think, you know, it depends. Like if you're trying to go on a technical route, I think you know, um, a mix of programming and software skills is great. Uh, I think if you're, you know, interested in in driving products or maybe even working in the sales force of like one of these organizations that, that builds geo products, I think um, there are different ways to, to cultivate those skills. That sort of covers the, the questions that I had for you. You know, I know I've learned a lot. So before we, you know, today, I just wondered if, if there's anything else it doesn't have to be, but if there's anything else that, that you want to mention that we haven't had a chance to talk about, or, you know, shamelessly plug something of, of your own, something that you're doing right now. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, no, this has been great, and it's good to reconnect. Um, thank you for having me on. I always want to nerd out about geo stuff. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, I, less of a shameless plug, more of like a, um, an invitation, but we do, uh, you know, we've done a unique opportunity in the in the last um couple of months through the norwegian government where we've um we have these tropical base maps um that users can access for deforestation related work so if there are any listeners um that are working in monitoring you know things like deforestation would like to get started with um uh with um satellite imagery in, in those workflows um let's see i think it might be planet.com nick v and i see it's unprecedented. Like we've never actually, you know, had this amount of data available 
um, at this scale um, for supporting deforestation work. Um, there are some terms there, but yeah, it's kind of a cool opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's good to talk to you. Thanks for, thanks for having me on, y'all. Yeah.